Last week, we discussed the top draft prospects, and now we've got college baseball underway. We've got a lot of high school ball underway, and we want to talk about the mock draft that we put out on JustBaseball.com. I'm RM Layton. He's Jack McMullen. Of course, this is the call-up, and we've been teasing the mock draft a little bit, and it's funny because it's so fluid, Jack, where even after the first week of of games now, uh, especially on the college side, I'm like, Oh man, I want to bump this guy up. I want to, I want to put this guy into the first round and things like that. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Of course, if you want to hear more in depth on each of the prospects, especially at the top part of this conversation, uh, we have an episode breaking down the top 10 prospects, you know, just, just a week ago. And we're going to try to fly through the mock draft a little bit more rapid fire, talk about where guys can ascend, you know, how high some of these players can potentially go uh, in the draft and, and why we have them where they're at currently. There's a little bit of like speculation. So I just wanted, wanted to put some guys up a little bit higher that I think will climb a little bit and vice versa. So we'll add some context to that as well. Uh, but I'm excited to fly through this, Jack, as we know that the mock draft V1 is probably going to look a lot different than V2, V3, and so on and so forth. But uh, it's always good to get this started and get people a little bit primed on what to expect uh, from the the draft, or at least who to follow. A hundred percent. One other thing to note is that, you know, like a mock draft will, will take into account different things other than like a big board. If you just wanted to rank one through 30 or one through 60, you would make a big board. But doing a mock draft factors in different elements it Mm -hmm. factors in what teams are good at developing what teams need in terms of organizational depth right hey you might have a shortstop in an 11-year deal like trey turner are the phillies going to take a shortstop no like they've got their guy and they can find a fill-in if need be they're not going to take a shortstop in the first round so there are a whole bunch of different factors that i know we're going to kind of get into off the top uh and then after that you know we we talked about the top 10 Outside of that, I'm excited to kind of walk through in any name that I've heard something about but don't know much about. I'm going to ask you for clarification. 100%. And, and I will say, like, you know, you never know. A lot of teams like to go, like to say that they go best player available, and most of them do follow that. But something that I kind of baked into this as well was draft trends, uh, what we've seen teams do over the last few years, some of the things that we've maybe it's very early, but we've heard, you know, and, and and seen reported around, you know, what teams are hoping to do with their farm system and things like that. Um, but you can see some specific trends. Some teams are all over the place, but certain teams, you can kind of start to get an idea of of what their draft model may prioritize. And, you know, I tried my best to hypothesize on that. Uh, and, and if there was a, a perfect fit, I wanted to kind of highlight that uh, with some of these picks. So, uh, again, as always, the the article, the mock draft is linked in the episode description so you can follow along with write-ups on each of them. And we will be doing a big board uh, within the next couple of weeks, right around either just before or after the top 100 release. We'll have a top 50 draft prospects uh, kind of article as well, and, and we'll break that down uh, beyond the top 10 that we already did. The one thing I will say is there's certain players like, yes, you have Trey Turner uh, at shortstop and like you're not going to go out of your way to to go get a shortstop. But if a guy falls into your lap that you really like, you're trying to accumulate talent. And there's some players here that, you know, as I had them maybe slipping a little bit, I'm like, they can't fall any further than this. And I end up having them going to a place that maybe might not be the best fit in the world. Uh, But, you know, that's where I kind of acknowledge, hey, this is probably the floor for this guy. But anything else, Jack, before we jump right into the Guardian selection at number one? 
I don't think so. Um, I'm curious, like, and and you'll probably hit it as we kind of get through the top 10 really rapid fire because we've talked about a lot of these guys already very recently. Um, but, like, I am curious for you to point out who you thought the perfect fits were when you did mm-hmm. mock them to certain places. Perfect. I can absolutely do that. And, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that as well. But pick number one. You know, and, you know, through the first five days of, of college baseball and first several games, I think now you'd have people saying Travis Bazana is going to be the number one pick. But as of now, we've got J.J. Weatherholt at, at number one and we had him as the number one prospect as well. I will say that with Weatherholt having another little hamstring ailment, this is the second time he's had that. Right. It plagued him last year. He played through it. and Now he's had a little tweak again. Um, you know, we'll see how that goes. If that's something that continues to nag him. And Bazana's putting up numbers. It's something to monitor. But right now we have Weatherhold at number one, just because I think there's a little bit more upside. Uh, we talked about it on on the top prospect episode. So not to rehash too many of the same points, but the bat speed, I think there's just a little bit more power projection, though. Bazana's been running into some balls early in the early going here. I think there's more offensive uh, projection for Weatherhold. I really like uh, the swing. I, I just I know it's a little bit more unconventional with Bazana, but I just think with the guardians, you're looking for probably uh, the, the highest upside bat. They're not going to prioritize the fact that, you know, Bazana might be able to play a passable short as much, especially with their organization. Right. So obviously they've never had any concern of having too many shortstops, but I feel like in a guardians org that, you know, needs higher upside bats throughout the system. Uh, I think weather holds a perfect fit and a perfect balance of what they like. They, they're not going to go for the all or nothing, you know, big whiff types that we've seen them just very much stray away from. But this is a great balance of great field to hit, you know, pretty much a plus hit tool. But you still have above average power to dream on as well and a good approach. So uh, weather hope for, for now just seems like the slam dunk at number one. All they do is draft and sign shortstops, which is interesting because they don't really have a shortstop in the present and they may not have a shortstop in the future if they're not willing to appoint Brian Rocchio as a shortstop of the present. Like that might be showing their hand that, hey, he's not our answer long term. Where is your answer long term? Like two years ago, you had 10 shortstops. It looked like they were future big league shortstops. So it it is kind of weird. Um it's totally the offensive profile, though, even though there's yeah. a ton of traffic now at second base. By the way, did you see Tyler Freeman is getting outfield reps, too? <laughs> like I, all these shortstops you're turning into second baseman or outfielders. Yeah. And and I think at the number one pick, you know, you're really just looking at the bat and, and you're looking at the production that you can get there. And that's why Nick Kurtz could be an option as well. But that's I know we're saying you, you draft the best player available. And if, if Kurtz is absolutely raking, they'll, you know, who cares that you have all these first basemen uh, Kurtz, you, you want the best bat that you can get. And, and the best at the end of the day, you don't want to risk whiffing on the number one pick. And I don't think any of these top guys that we're going to discuss you know, have much risk relative to, to other prospects that you'll see offensively. Like I think Weatherholt's pretty darn safe, but so is Kurtz. And, and so is Bazana safe is a relative term. But at the end of the day, uh, I, I just think, He's the more well-rounded offensive piece here uh, with the ability to, I think, also play the outfield if they want to get him some reps out there eventually, too. Again, you're you're just taking a guy that has plus-plus bat speed and a lot of offensive uh, projection to continue to dream on. Number two pick. And, and this is like, just seems like a slam dunk perfect fit, to be honest. Nick Kurtz to the Cincinnati Reds um, it, with the Reds. You know, they're again, another team that's just going to go with the best player available. I know they've got a ton of infielders and I, I understand that, but if you have a chance to get Nick Kurtz here, 
a guy that can fly up the minor league ranks quick for you, a Reds team that's, you know, focused on competing now. And yeah, you could say, oh, they've got all these different guys in the big leagues. Kurtz has a chance to be better offensively than just about anybody they've got, right? Like he's instantly one of the higher ceiling bats in the entire organization the second they draft him. And, yeah. you know, with Joey Votto kind of passing the baton, uh, I just, you know that the comps are going to be there if they pick him, which is funny. But the reason why I like Kurtz as a fit is I'm just imagining the power profile there. Uh, I mean, this guy could hit 30 plus easily in Cincinnati. And then you look at the, the the field of hit for how big he is. We talked about that to be six foot five and make the contact that he does in terms of the, the, the solid contact rates. The approach is phenomenal. He's a great defender at first base. You could try him in a corner. It ultimately, if you want, he's athletic enough to probably play a passable corner, especially in great American, but he could be a great first baseman who's capable of hitting 30 home runs, uh, maybe more than that in great American walk and, and hit for a decent average. I, I'd be surprised if Kurtz is not selected in the top three picks. And I honestly think he's pretty high probability to be selected in the top two, even with the positional limitation. Well, and my other thought here is Cincinnati has a lot of answers at a lot of different places, but a place that they do not have a clear cut answer for the present and future is first base. They, you know what? They have an answer for the present, but that answer for the present is Jamer Candelario, right? Their, their answer at third base moving forward is Noel V. Marte. Their answer at short moving forward is Ellie De La Cruz. Their answer at second moving forward is Matt McClain. But at first, is it Christian Encarnacion Strand moving forward? Is it Spencer Steer moving forward? Steer has versatility. CES could be a DH. India is a guy that clearly is not factoring into their long-term plans based on the amount of trade rumors we've heard. And Candelario just signed a what? Four-year deal or three-year deal? Three-year. Four. Three. Okay. Well, that times up actually even better. If it's a three-year deal, I think that's that lines up perfectly, right? Because you've got this year at Candelario. The next year, you assume Kurtz is going to be high A, double A, all that. And the next year is Candelario's final year of control. Kurtz is triple A and he's going to debut. And then after that, it's Kurtz. Like, that's the guy at first base. And Candelario can DH at the back end of his deal, all that. Like, the timing works out really well for a lot of these guys that are just breaking in. And again, when you're picking it too, like you just want to go with the bat that you believe in the most and you'll figure out the positional situation later. Like it, it does. You just want to make sure that you get a big leaguer at two. feel like you have the best chance at an impactful big leaguer there. And, you know, I, I do feel like they have some guys that that do some similar things to to Bazana, who who could also be an option here uh, as a guy that can you yep. know play multiple spots in the infield. But I think when you're in the situation that the Reds are in, and you don't need that infield depth as bad, and again, I know you're just taking the guy that you believe in the most here, but the upside of Kurtz offensively is just so enticing. Uh, and, and I think when you're looking at the Reds situation they're dreaming on the power and how it could play there. And I just think it's going to be really hard for both teams in the first two picks to pass on, on the offensive ability that Kurtz has both from a raw power perspective, the way he gets into it in games, 90th percentile exit velocity of 109, um, you know, just, just a well-rounded offensive profile. Uh, there's a good chance that Kurtz is off the board in the first two picks. And, you know, I, I think he could get there within a year. Um, with how advanced he is offensively. And it fits the timeline of the Reds wanting to, you know, get pieces that can help them now. Um, so he, I, I think it's a slam dunk for them at two. He is the only bat in this class that can make anybody expendable. 
Like you look at a weather hold or a Bazana, if McLean is playing well, then it can be a toss up, right? But Kurtz could make anybody expendable. Yeah. You make yeah. base for that guy. If you if he fulfills what he could do, it could be very similar to the Chris Bryant profile coming through the minor leagues, where it's just Homer, Homer, Homer. Like looks way better than anybody else at any level he's at. And his first test is going to come in the major leagues. I mean, look at like Wyatt Langford, right? We, we were talking about where's he going to fit in, whatever. You you make it happen. You make he's space. the kind of guy that I think offensively could could make it happen. Number three is a more volatile pick, but I feel like a really good like, – this is a this is a fit because this is a situation where I think you don't get to find players like this very often. And the Colorado Rockies, I have them going with Vance Honeycutt out of North Carolina. and And this is more of a predictor because this is – me saying, I think Vance Honeycutt takes that final step forward. Uh, not final step, but the, the, the final step he needs forward to be a top five pick. We yeah. saw him cut down on the whiff uh, last year. We saw him improve in, in the bat-to-ball department. It didn't really show in the stat line. He slashed 257, 418, 492. But this dude is a phenomenal center fielder. I, I told you how fun it was to, to go through the video there. And that's important. I mean, they're running Brenton Doyle out there all the time. And, and the Colorado Rockies are the one team that I do think needs to draft by need. Most of the time they're trying to take a pitcher because you, you can't really uh, get guys to go pitch out there. So you could talk about Chase Burns and the way that Burns has been throwing. Again, we did this mock. We made this before Burns uh, had his first start of the year, which was just outrageous. Uh, so you could make the Burns case here. But I think when you look at what Honeycutt can do for them, uh, a guy that has improved bat to ball wise, you put him at altitude there. He's got, you know, above average power, elevates consistently, can go get it in center field with the best of them. It's five tool potential here. A lot of upside. I, I just think Honeycutt is a great fit for what the Rockies need out there. And I'm expecting him to have that kind of offensive season where it's going to be hard for him to slip out of the top five. I'm hoping that he has that kind of year. Andy's stupid fun. Like Rockies need more stupid fun guys. They sell tickets because their guys are exciting. And like, I'm thinking about an outfield alignment of Nolan Jones, Vance Honeycutt and Yankeel Fernandez. And that might yeah. be the first time on this podcast. I've admitted defeat on Zach Veen, which is crazy, but yeah, that outfield of Jones, Yankeel and Honeycutt, like close your eyes and imagine the fun that you could have over yeah. 162. I, like you love Brenton Doyle, uh, take that with a player that actually has above average offensive upside and right. Like and, you like Brenton Doyle and his sixty WRC plus. Like yeah. yeah, let's get more. And that's why I love the Honeycut situation there. I I think he provides more value to the Rockies potentially than anybody else in that cavernous outfield. And I think his offensive game, of course, plays up a little bit more out there as he continues to develop. Um, he's probably one of the most volatile names in the top 10, but a guy that could play himself into you know the top five range with a good season. And I think he's going to do that. Checking into number four is Travis Bazana. And, and this is more just the floor for me versus like a fit. The athletics have the number four pick. Bazana shouldn't slide much further, if at all, than that. Of course, we're acknowledging that Chase Burns could end up jumping into these top few picks here because of what he's doing he's got to you know do it for the duration of the year and stay healthy knock on wood of course pitchers there's just so much more variance there but Bazana, if you're the A's like we know that this is a team that likes to go high floor bats right we saw them do it with with Jacob Wilson and now you go get Bazana who can fly through the minor leagues for you I was saying he'll probably be an arb two by the time 
the the athletics are in Vegas. And and I think they need that. They need high probability big leaguers. You, you shouldn't be going for, you know, the, the Caglione's or, you know, the, the risky players. You need high probability big leaguers. And that's the way they've approached it. That's the way they've approached their their trade packages. It's the way they've approached the draft. And and I think that's the way that they'll do it here. If they're lucky enough for Bazana to fall into their lap at four, I cannot imagine that they pass on him here after hitting 375 on the Cape, after performing for Team USA, after hitting 340 and his hot start to this season. If he can play shortstop as well, of course, that helps. But I think they just want a guy that they know can climb quickly, be there by the time they're in Vegas and and help be a part of this core that they're trying to solidify before they make that move and presumably spend a little bit more money. They, they tried it last year with Jacob Wilson and they could take a guy at four that may just beat him to the big leagues. And, and that is exciting, right? Like, I don't know. You can think about a middle infield tandem of Bazana and Geloff. And that is, I don't, it makes you salivate a little bit more than Jacob Wilson who could hit 29300, but he's going to slug 29300. Like he's not going to hit for power. Bazana can hit for power. And, and the thing about the move from Oakland to Vegas that I think a lot of people will not account for, and it's a long ways away. I get it. And, you know, you're probably not factoring in Ryan Noda here, but you can factor Soderstrom in. Soderstrom is a guy that can leave the ballpark. It's really hard to leave the ballpark in Oakland. You move to Vegas, yeah. that's a dry environment. You go from Northern California to the desert, that's going to become a hitter friendly ballpark. And I do think that a guy like Soderstrom will excel with that. And if you've got a middle infield tandem that can both poke balls out, even in Oakland, that could be a power hitting middle infield tandem in Geloff and, and in Bazana. And, and I like the the, the balance of, of guys with great hit tools too. It's just as well. Wilson's going to get up there quick. It's a matter of how high is the ceiling, but you know, he showed pretty well in his pro debut. And uh, I, I think that's a type that they have here. Um, and, and it's more about the floor. I just don't see a world where, where Bazana slipping, you know, past, past four there. Um, and, and it just seems incredibly unlikely unless Connor Griffin balls out, Honeycutt balls out and Burns continues to do what he's doing, which leads us into pick number five, which is Chase Burns to the Chicago White Sox, Wake Forest right-handed pitcher. Like, look, 20 whiffs in his first start, six innings. It was just disgusting. And I think that there's a real scenario where Burns has the Skeens type of ascension and ultimately could make a 1-1 case because of the fact that he's sitting 98, uh, reaching triple digits with, with life. I haven't been able to get like the exact shapes and everything, but I can see it. I, I can assure you that there's good shape there. <laughs> like it, it is a lively fastball. The slider is disgusting. We'll see how the changeup progresses, but he can pretty much overpower with those two pitches. He's 6'4", 220. Uh, yeah. This is just another one of those situations where I just think best player available. It's Chase Burns at five. White Sox are in the business of just taking the best player available at this point. We have seen them underslot in the past. They could do that. I can't speculate too hard on 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 underslotting at this point. But you know, I, I just think for the White Sox, Chase Burns instantly becomes their best pitching prospect, um, and and obviously. I think becomes their, their most exciting arm in their entire organization. Even if you include the big leagues, um, yeah, especially if Dylan Cease is, is, is sent out of town. So uh, I, I just think it's going to be hard for Burns to slip out of the top five as well. No big leaguer on that roster right now is going to be there in five years. I, I firmly believe that once Luis Robert is up, once Eloy Jimenez is up, like they're gone, they have clearly rubbed those guys the wrong way. So now you look down at the farm and you say, okay, where's the future? 
a year ago, it didn't look good. But now you account for Colson Montgomery, Brian Ramos, Edgar Caro offensively. And if you can pair that with a front two possibility of Noah Schultz and Chase Burns, that can get people exciting. That can get season tickets in the South yeah. Loop. I know parking's yeah. going to be expensive in that new spot, but like, who cares? I That is an easy sell for me. If you've got three hitters that look like they can be franchise cornerstones and two starting pitchers that look like they can be one, two punch from hell freaks. And, and I mean, like to that point, there's just nobody. You, you can make the case for Connor Griffin, maybe, uh, who we'll get to in, in a few seconds here. Uh, but at, at this number five spot, you're going best player available. I don't think there's a better player available than Chase Burns uh, right here. And, and, and for the White Sox, they just need talent. And, and the only Number one, seven, oh, sorry, real ahead. quick, the only one of the top five that I, I feel like based on what you're saying, you think could fall out of the top five is Honeycutt. If he doesn't yes, like, turn absolutely. that corner that you expect him to. But four of those top five are going to go in the top five. Very likely, unless something catastrophic. Unless I'm with you. Honeycutt, out. Yeah, something like yeah, that. God forbid. But like Honeycutt is is the though that was my like speculatory number three like working ahead here uh because i think he's going to be there but yeah i mean if the draft was tomorrow i I doubt honeycutt's going three but the draft isn't tomorrow and we're trying to mock for july uh but i do think there's a yeah if if he hits 260 again he ain't going top five we'll go in the first round still i think very easily but he ain't going top five you you made the count it's it's judd fabian it's that conversation exactly who was Floated as high as one one, and you know, drafted as as low as uh, is where we saw him drafted in, in the second round. So like, it, it can go a few different ways. Yeah. Number six, Kansas City Royals check in, and I have them taking Mike Serrata uh, out of Northeastern. And a couple of years ago, the, the Royals went with Gavin Cross, and it just hasn't looked like that's that's really worked out. Um, they've gone with arms, it, 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 I think, more recently, and that's kind of worked better for them now. I mean, I, I still think Frank Mazzucato could be a nice piece. They, they've got an interesting situation here. But I also see a Royals team where I think this is where you can start to look at the situation and apply that to who they may draft. Again, if, they, if they're in love with Connor Griffin, they might end up taking him. But I, I, I look at a team here, or an organization that could definitely – Use some help in the outfield. You have a high probability big leaguer who can stick up the middle here in Serrata. I, I think this is a, a, an easy pick for them, a guy that could fly up the minor leagues. He's been awesome, you know, it, whether it was at Northeastern where he hit 346, 472, 678 uh, last season, 18 homers, 19 bags, above average defender in center field, showed well on the Cape, has shown well pretty much at every single stop. Uh, I think if, if, if Honeycutt doesn't put it together, hit tool wise, Serrata might be the most well-rounded profile in the top 10 picks when you look at, at, at hitters here. And uh, I, I just think teams are going to be really comfortable with the floor here for Serrata. And I'll tell you what, it's a great fit because he can fly through the minor leagues and he doesn't have a lot of outfielders in his way. No, it, pretty much zero. Like Kyle Isbell right now is the guy that factors in to being in his way. And Edward Olivares was another guy that I was thinking like, hey, could have been around in four years, but instead he's a Pittsburgh Pirate now. Um, Gavin Cross hit 206 with a near 30% K rate. That'll never happen with, with this guy. It seems just based on the reports and based on like hell, even the numbers that he's put up at every single stop, there's never been a hole in his swing anywhere. And like, I I don't know (laughs) after whiffing on a guy like cross having that safety in Sorota could make a lot of sense. And I I I think that's why, 
this is an, an, an instance here where it's like, yeah, they, they could go with whoever they like the most. And, and I think Charlie Condon is, is a guy that might play his way into this range as well. Um, Connor Griffin, another option in this range. And it, of course, it's just going to be whoever they like the most out of those guys. But I, I think the, the, the floor of Serata is going to be appealing to a team that's trying to compete in the, in the near future. Yeah. Pick number seven, St. Louis Cardinals take Connor Griffin, who's off to an insane start, by the way. I think he's, he's averaging like three stolen bases per game right now uh, in high school. Right. He's out of Jackson Prep in Flowood, Mississippi. He'll be 18 years old, like a couple months before draft day. So he's one of the younger guys in the class. And he's just a freak, man. He, he can get up to 97 on the mound. He hits the crap out of the ball. Um, he can motor. He could potentially stick in center field. He's 6'4", 205. This is a guy that I think we talked about it. I think has a legitimate 1-1 case if he continues to have the helium that we think he can have. Uh, but if if he doesn't quite have the insane spring, uh, you know, that I think is is – possible and these other college guys just continue to to put up numbers i think this is about the floor for for connor griffin i I can't imagine he slips much further than this maybe one or two picks further if condon continues to do what i think he can do tooled out that seems to be like the case with him it's just like tools out the wazoo and if raw pure athleticism can turn into like even a semblance of a well-rounded game people are going to take the dream you have to yep and and the Cardinals have had success with that in the past, right? Like you, you we've seen them win. go for the toolsy, the toolsy two-way prep guys. Like that, yes, that's Mason something that win. I'm, Mason win. Jordan Walker was a legitimate prospect on the mound as well. Um, and, and yeah, I think those are two guys that have worked out pretty well for them. Burleson was was a guy that was thrown as well, not toolsy prep guy, but they have something. They've definitely had a trend of of liking players who can also excel on the mound. It's a testament to the athleticism and what they're able to do. I think it's a coincidence with the Giants as well, doing similar things, whether they even you know keep them as two-way players or not. We'll be talking about that next week. But yeah. I, I think Griffin kind of fits the the type of of what they've loved out of prep players. And um yeah, I, I could see I could see him being a great fit, pretty close to their their area too, uh, in terms of where I think they like to to do a lot of their scouting. Um I, I couldn't imagine Griffin falling out of the top 10. I think it's more likely he climbs into the top five. Number eight, the angels take Charlie Condon. And this is another player where it's like, I, I think it's, it could only be up uh, first base slash outfield out of Georgia. I think his outfield has been better than people give him credit for his outfield defense has been solid, but let's, let's be real here. You are drafting the bat. You are drafting the six foot six, 215 pound right-handed hitter who can hit the living crap out of the ball and also hit 386 last year in the SEC. He's been off to a great start already hitting the piss out of the ball in the early parts of this year. Crazy EVs. I think the swing is really good in terms of a contact from a contact standpoint. I think he's going to make a lot more contact than people give him credit for. The approach is a work in progress, but remember he was a red shirt freshman last year. So like he's still getting reps. Um, I think Condon could make the case to be right there with Kurtz as the best power bat in, in the draft. You have Caglione who, you know, I think comes with more swing and miss than these guys. So that, that puts him kind of a little bit behind them to me. Condon is, is a rare combination of bat to ball and, and power. Uh, maybe not quite to the degree of Kurtz, but uh, it, it could get there. Did you see what he did in the midweek? I mean, I know he, I saw some of the balls he hit. I don't know what the cumulative numbers are. In the midweek, he was three for three with two homers. So that has elevated the first two homers of the year. 
So that has elevated his overall numbers for his first four games. 10 for 14, five punch outs, five extra base hit or five walks, pardon, five extra base hits and one strikeout, one punch out in 19 plate appearances. So just a game by game, two for three with two walks and an 118 mile an hour double, then (laughs) two for four with a walk and a punch out, then three for four with a double and then three for three with two walks and two homers. Dude, he's he's I mean, hard to he's hard to fathom. And like Sean, well, who <laughs> like after the all star break, this guy might be an L.A. Angel. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they'll fast track him. Um, I, yeah. I'll say this, too. I, I think he's already got four batted balls over one hundred and ten miles an hour. So he's got more batted balls over one hundred and ten. He's got more batted balls over, I think, one fifteen than strikeouts. Yeah, I I, I Texted Pete Flaherty. I was like, what does Charlie Condon have to do to be a 1-1 consideration? He said, really hit. I think he might really hit. Yeah, what um, does really hitting look like? It probably looks like this, right? Like this. Um, I, I, again, I think the swing is more conducive to contact than people give him credit for. I, I feel like a broken record, but if I couldn't kind of make the case here, I think Condon could very easily jump Sirota. Uh, and and could very easily jump Honeycutt uh, and get into the, the the top of the the first round here, but um, you know again it, teams have to be a little bit more focused on the bat than than positional aspects. And I think for the Angels, you're just taking the best bat you can get here. And I mean, you're, you're probably not getting a, a, another bat that has this amount of power and the field of hit that that Condon brings to the table. Number nine. Pittsburgh Pirates have them taking Seaver King, another kid out of Wake Forest who's been playing the outfield, but can also play shortstop. But everything I've heard, uh, talking to Pete Flaherty of Baseball America, I was asking him, you know, how, how he looked in center field. He said he's buzzing around there and people are really excited about you know, how comfortable he's already been in center after, you know, never really playing there and in playing shortstop at uh, at Wingate. Division two school where he put up just silly numbers there before transferring to Wake Forest. This guy has above average power, above average field to hit, rocket for an arm, really good speed. He's tooled up and you put him in Wake Forest now. He performs in the ACC. He's going to be a guy that has a lot of helium and already does. Um, and I think for the Pirates, you're getting a player here that is just super dynamic, uh, can fit in in a couple of different spots and it's it just seems like he is a player that could really start endearing himself to to teams with his skill set and now doing the one thing that people were worried about was okay can you do it against great competition he did it on the cape 424 in 16 games now do it against ACC competition it's going to be hard to pass on this guy for sure um center is one of the few places that the pirates really don't have anybody in the organization at like you know you think about a 5 year window moving forward you're probably still penciling in Jack Sawinski. The guy that you just extended is Brian Reynolds. He's already in a corner and he's not very good in a corner anyways. So like go get an outfielder, man. It's outfield and first base. And I know what's available here. And yeah, like if he is playing a really good center field, I think they're going to jump at an opportunity to grab a center fielder, especially because, you know, like Travis Swaggerty didn't work out. Cal Mitchell didn't work out. Cannon Smith and Jigba didn't work out. Like they've got all of these guys that they had very high expectations for that just didn't pan out. They may be looking for that college 
outfielder, that college center fielder in particular, that can join a young core. Them and Cincinnati strike me as the two that may look for guys to join the young core, which is why I think they both lean college. A hundred percent. And they, they love athletes. We've seen them just always pursue those really dynamic athletes. And yeah. I mean, Seaver Kings as dynamic as they come in this draft pick number 10, Washington nationals. I have them taking PJ Morlando, a prepster out of Somerville, South Carolina high school outfielder slash first base might end up at first base. So that, that is a hurdle in this, but I also think it's probably the best prep bat all around in terms of hit tool and power, you know, in the class, we saw him win the, the 2023 20, high school home run derby at T-Mobile park. I think he was the MVP of the all American game. His swing is just so advanced. Uh, I talked about how his setup kind of looks like Dylan Cruz with two strikes, but all the time, super wide, minimal stride really is able to do things with his lower half. I mean, the hip mobility is insane, able to get into hitting positions that just not very many hitters are able to do. Um, I, the Nationals have, have – this doesn't fit the bill of what they've typically drafted. They've gone for – they've kind of ignored whiff a, a lot. I mean, Dylan Cruz, you can't count. That guy fell into their lap. But yeah. they've kind of ignored whiff a little bit in, in, in the last few years. And I just feel like this is a spot where you, you have a chance to get the most well-rounded prep bat at number 10. It just seems like a slam dunk. Uh, and I just – I feel like this is a little bit more of the speculation side. He's too good of a hitter to not go – in the top 10, 12 picks. And I'm expecting his draft stock to continue to rise. Are you a little bit worried about defensive limitations like high school first baseman? Although might I add that the last two notable high school first basemen taken, you know, at least in the middle of the first round, at least that come to my mind are, are Costas and Xavier Isaac. Those were the two. Yeah. And And they both look like they're working out. Later in the first round, those guys ended up getting taken. And and I think both, if you redrafted, would go much earlier. So I think teams are starting to realize, like, hey, yes, you want premium positions, things like that. There's not a lot of premium positions even at, at the top of this draft. So, like, just get the bat that you think is the best. I think Orlando is probably the best prep bat available there and the most re- well-rounded bat still on the board here. You get a lot of offensive potential. And just, I haven't watched defensive video. I, I don't have access to high school defensive video of, of PJ Morlando. But what I can say is the way he's able to move in the box, he seems like a good athlete. I feel like he could be athletic enough to play a decent corner. And that's really all he needs to do with the offensive ability that he has. Got you. All right. I want to run you through kind of rapid fire the remainder of the first round. Let's do it. I want like one sentence. One or two sentences on these guys. Okay. Yeah. Do you want I will to say, pick by pick or do you just want me to pick out notable ones? Let's go pick by pick, fly through it. Let's give it a, a couple extra seconds on pick number 11 here, though, because this is a speculatory drop as well. Yes, it is. Uh, number 11 to Detroit is Jack Caglia. Why do you have him dropping? I, I, I think. The pitching's going to kind of be abandoned. So I don't think he's going to be not abandoned in college. Like he's going to throw all year, but I think people are going to start to look at him as eh, not as much of a pitching prospect. The commands just, just rough. Um, the changeup's good, but the fastball, he throws hard. The shape's not that great. The secondary command's not that great. I, I just, I don't think he's going to be taken that seriously as, as a pitching prospect in this range. Um, the bat tons of power. I mean, 113 mile per hour, 90th percentile, but like at the same time, we're looking at a situation here where there's there's plenty of whiff concern. I don't think it's whiff as much as chase. I mean, 40% chase rate, I think above that. 
Um, and, and that's going to affect him. And that'll translate into more whiff against more challenging competition. We saw that at points, you know, in, in the college world series, I just think he's going to slip because, you know, people are looking at Reggie Crawford and seeing that situation. It's like, yeah, it's cool that he excels at both in a college setting, but what's he going to be in, in the big leagues if, if he makes it to the big leagues. And um, I think you, when you look at it from that lens, it's like, I believe in the bat more and I still have some concerns about the bat. So I just think it's more likely he ends up in this range. This probably isn't the best fit in the world, though, as Scott Harris does typically go with the hit tool guys. Yeah. Uh, I know we've only seen one draft of him, but he seems to have that type. We've seen it from the trade returns that they look for, the players that they want to go get for the most part. He doesn't quite fit that bill, but it might just be too much power potential to pass on here at number 11. Makes sense. I mean, it's it's 40 if it all clicks, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now... One sentence per guy. You ready? Rapid fire through the end of the first round. 12. Uh, you got the Red Sox taking Brody Brecht, the right-hander from Iowa. Why is he the next Tanner Houck? <laughs> I mean, the slider and the fastball have a chance to be disgusting. I mean, they are disgusting. But the guy, what, what he walked six in his first in his first start of the, the collegiate yeah, season? Yeah, four and a third. But disgusting stuff. I just think for the Red Sox, this is a spot where you brought Kyle Bodie in, you brought Craig Breslow in, two pitching minds that are as good as any. Um, they might want to bet on themselves and and potentially you, you could squeeze an ace out of this, but you know you also are, are taking an extremely volatile arm. Yeah, uh, San Francisco's missed a lot. I know we're going to talk about that a little bit more next week, but you've got them taking Tommy Tanks, Tommy White at LSU 13th. It's more close to the floor, I think, for Tommy White. And this is a little bit of a speculative drop. I think you'll see him go higher elsewhere. But the guy just, the, the game powers, you, you, you can't dispute it. He's Tommy Tanks for a reason. He had 27 home runs as a freshman. Uh, the bat to ball is not bad. It's just extremely aggressive approach, sim- similar to, to Caglione. Uh, I just think for the Giants, this is a situation where you're probably getting the best bat available. Uh, you haven't had a lot of success drafting over the last couple of years. And uh, I, I do like their last class, but I, I just think this is a best player available situation where you're getting a ton of power and a guy that, you know, if the approach doesn't do him in, can climb quickly. Got you. 14, the Cubs, Braden Montgomery, the outfielder that was a two-way guy at Stanford. Now he's at AM. I love this idea. I just think it's, it's a perfect fit here because you have a player that I don't think should fall further than this. I think could even play into a point where he goes higher than this. Uh, but for the Cubs, Again, best player available. I think you're getting a guy here that the power, the field of hit being you know, something that's improved. One of the best outfield arms we've seen in a while. Just a great right field profile. I think he's continued to cut down on the whiff concern and just just seems like uh, a, a situation where the Cubs, you, know, you just take a guy that I don't think is going to fall much further. Yeah. Josh Hartle, the lefty out of Wake Forest, you've got joining the factory that is the Seattle Mariners and their pitching development. I, it just this is more of a trend thing, and and I think you talk about the factory that's been the Mariners and their pitching development. Hartle, I think, is is just going to be an arrow upwards. The velocity slowly continues to tick up. Uh, the command is phenomenal. We we know they like those types, and it just seems to be the type of player that you know you're getting a high probability big leaguer. I, I do think the Mariners are going to unload some pitching at the deadline, whether it's at the big leagues or or you know and. Uh, if they want to go add, I think it's going to be mostly from the prospect perspective and they're going to want to reload high probability big leaguer who can climb quickly. Hartle could be the first guy that debuts out of this draft class, uh, especially in the pitching side. Who is Carter Johnson and why is he the Marlins pick at 16? 
So I think Carter Johnson is is arguably, if it's not Orlando, you could make the case that he has the best hit tool out of any high scorer in this draft class. Another Southern kid, Oxford, Alabama. Uh, I have him to the Marlins because you know I think he's going to play his way into the top 20 picks. I think he might even go earlier than that. It's one of my favorite swings, super rhythmic, super smooth, can can potentially stick it short. Uh, nothing jumps off the page athletically, but it reminds me, he reminds me a little bit of, of Jackson Merrill where it's like, oh my gosh, the hit tool is so advanced. Uh, if he can grow into a little bit more power um, and, and, and improve the defense a little bit, you got one of the top middle infield prospects in baseball. I think Carter Johnson has that kind of upside and it seems like he has a similar type of uh, makeup and, and approach to the game that, that Merrill had. Not as much physical projection, but I do see some similarities there. I, I think he's going to be a top 15 pick, so he might not even slip to the Marlins at 16. Hmm. Hagen Smith, the lefty out of Arkansas, had a really rough season debut. Um, but you get him in the Brewers' hands, and chances are he's going to turn into at least Gasser, where he becomes very yeah. durable, and he's got a pitch mix that can get out to the big league level. It's kind of just a best player available situation. You know, I think Hagen Smith has just been darn good. He's been up to the upper 90s more recently, but sitting 93 to 95, great stuff. Fits the bill of of guys that... I think the Brewers have had plenty of interest in, and I think I've done a good job with, you mentioned Gasser. I, I just think this is a fit to what they typically like to go after. We've seen them go with the bats more recently, but um, this is also a situation where I do think you're, you're looking at need a little bit. They've gone with so many bats over the last few years. I know that they've gone, you know, a little bit later and, and over slotted some, some unique high school arms here and there. But I, I think this is another perfect fit for a high probability big league arm who can climb quickly um, that the Brewers have done a good job of maximizing. And I think it's just close to the floor for, for a really talented Southpaw. We're going to do the top 20, and then you have to go read the mock on JustBaseball.com for 21 through 30. Uh, 18, Cam Caminiti, the left-hander. Ken's, what, nephew, I think? Yeah. High school kid, he's really young. I, I just think he fits the draft model that the Rays typically like to attack, which is upside, youth, and projection, right? I mean, he is going to be 17 years old on draft day. He sits in the low 90s, but already you look at the, the, the delivery, you look at the mechanics, you're like, okay, this is a guy that I think you put him in the right situation. You can really maximize. He creates difficult angles for hitters. The Rays love you know, those unique arm angles. You know that it's like a slight cross-body delivery. And, and I, I think they're going to fall in love with that. The fact that his upper 70 slider is his best secondary offering as well. And you know, they can help him tweak that. Like this is the perfect template for the race to attack. And I think he fits. I don't, I'm not going to pretend I know their draft models, but you see some commonalities. Yeah. I think the upside already having some polish compared to a lot of young left-handers being so young in this class. And I think he's the perfect option for teams that are interested in or feel confident in their ability to develop arms. And we know the Rays are very confident in that. Yeah. Uh, 19 in the Mets. Again, who is Noah Franco? Noah Franco's got to be one of the more underratedly intriguing guys in this class. I mean, he can play first base and and he can really swing it. There's, there's a simple, compact, explosive swing. Uh, but then he's also pretty intriguing on the mound. I, I think this is probably the most viable two-way prospect in the class. And, I, I think the Mets could go a few different directions, but they've seemed to have some success. 
going with 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 high school guys. And and I think this is another example of of being able to go pick a guy out of IMG Academy that has the fallback of, of being a really impressive bat and or really solid pitching prospect. But I think this guy's got a legitimate chance to do both. And you're looking at upside outside of the top 15. You got it right here. Franco may not be cheap. You might have to pay a little bit extra to get him. And I think the Mets are the team that would do that. A hundred percent. And then last one that we're going to do on the show, 20 and the Toronto Blue Jays. Based on your write-up, Slade Caldwell, the outfielder from Arkansas, Jonesboro, Arkansas, the high school kid, seems like somebody that I am going to fall in love with personally. So a lot of people have been throwing, speaking of the Mets, throwing Jet Williams comps out there. Um Five foot six, 175 pounds, super quick. But then you look at the build, muscular, all of a sudden he's impacting baseballs and you're like, whoa, this guy has way more power than I would have expected from a guy with that frame. He can fly. He can go get it in center field. There's a lot of similarities. And you mentioned it. it's funny that you said you, you think you're, you would love him. Like he reminds me a lot of Alec Thomas but I think more offensive upside and a better approach. And you love Alec Thomas. So I think there's a guy that you're going to fall in love with. And another player that I could see a lot of helium as the draft gets closer because the the precedent of some of these shorter prospects that have been explosive and, and show the bat speed. I mean, it is a really quick bat. And then you have the elite speed. You have the success of Jet Williams right before him. I think teams are going to see that and say, oh, we don't want to miss out on a guy like this again. I, I, I think Alec Thomas, but potentially upgraded here with, with the upside and tools. Man, go read the rest on JustBaseball.com. I will tell you, if you enjoyed watching Jonathan Santucci last weekend, you're going to love where he ends up in this mock. Yeah, Santucci's, uh, I think, one of those like just perfect no-brainer fits if you look at the draft history uh, there. And then uh, I did want to mention a couple other names before we wrap up uh, of just like I think could climb pretty quickly. Ben Hess, we had going at 29 to the D-backs. Definitely could have some helium. Cameron Smith, 28 to the Astros. Rough freshman year, then balled out on the Cape. Like, super weird. <laughs> like, like Weird dichotomy there. 347 on the Cape, 258 as a freshman in the ACC. Um, I love that fit with the Astros because third baseman, projection, they don't care about – they like college volatility sometimes, and I think that's the perfect – fit there. So there's a couple other players that I think will be really fun picks that y- you may enjoy. Go check out the link in the episode description. And when we do the next version, we'll just go really long and do the, the full 30, but it's so early. It's like, it's silly to talk about like fits from 20 to 30, but I do think that there's some that are really fun um, and write-ups included on each of those prospects with the link in the episode description. Jack, any final thoughts on the draft? I don't think so. This is uh this is fun. It's like, all right, Big league spring training started. Spring training games are underway. I still have interest in turning on a Wake Forest game or an Arkansas game or an Iowa game for those top flight pitchers and and the bats too. A hundred percent. And I will say Santucci up a tick or two, probably going to be in our next mock in the top 20. So yeah, it, he may not even fall to where we've got him um, in, in this mock, but a lot of fun names to talk about a lot more than I'm excited to discuss as we update it and, and do the big board, which we'll really be able to go through all of those players. The risk of redundancy didn't want to go through 20 to 30 as well, uh, because we're going to break down all of those guys uh, in the big board that we'll be putting together in the next couple of weeks. Hope you enjoyed this way too early mock draft. We'll be checking in every month or two uh, to, to, to update it and, and get you some more thoughts and and actually have a little bit more sourced information on who we think could go where as always thank you for listening 
By the way, we've got the bonus episodes ready to rock. Saturday will be the first bonus episode we're putting out. Link is in the episode description to be able to subscribe to that. Of course, if you're not interested, no big deal. Thank you for supporting us on the two to three episodes a week anyways, and we really appreciate that. But if you have some interest in the additional information and the additional episodes, really appreciate the support. You can click that link in the episode description for each week, getting that bonus weekend episode, talking about everything from college baseball to prospect teach sheets when the season starts to card collecting, dynasty mailbags. We'll be doing everything and connecting with you a little bit further to help you with your card collecting, with your fantasy team, or just give you more prospect content. As always, thank you for listening. Look forward to talking prospects with you this weekend or next week.